This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. This week we have an interview with Jay Jurassic, who you may have heard on the Amber Fines segment on the Jurassic Park podcast, or here <laughs> before. We have Dinosaur of the Day, Draco Rex, and we have a bunch of dinosaur news. But before we get into all that, we want to thank some of our patrons who help us bring this episode to all of you every month. And this week we would like to thank Chris Nicholas, Trent Carbajal, Stefan, Nutmeg, Taya, Glenn Liddell, Dashiell Hammond, Stego Sophie, Lalin, Ayumi, Paul, and Lydia. And Paul and Lydia separately both just joined within the last week. So thank you both very much. Just like we've been getting two new dinosaurs a week about... We're getting two new patrons pretty often, too. Pretty exciting. It is really exciting. We're getting closer to newer rewards, and a lot of those rewards involve giving all of our patrons things or adding new content that we'll be releasing monthly and things like that. So if you're interested in checking out any of the new rewards or joining our Patreon and helping us to grow the podcast and other dinosaur media, then check out our page at patreon.com slash inodino. Yeah, and... As you may know, SVP is coming up. Society of Vertebrate Paleontology will be going in New Mexico. And we'll be offering special rewards for any patrons who are with us now or join before SVP ends October 21st. So you have a few weeks. Think about it. Jumping into the news. First, we have a quick follow-up from episode 197 because we got an email from James at Creature Technology about their dinosaur animatronics for the Walking with Dinosaurs arena show. Which was pretty exciting to hear from him. Yeah, it was really cool. So what he told us, though, was that we were we guessed wrong. We guessed that the drivers in the sort of base of the dinosaurs that walk around were laying down in the sort of flat wheeled base in between the legs. So we thought that you had to go prone like you were in one of those early submarines and point your face out the front. <laughs> <laughs> but really, he sent us a picture of it. And what they do is they sit upright and then they lean against the post that holds up the dinosaur and their legs fit straight in the sort of place where we thought they were lying down. Sounds a lot more comfortable. It sounds way more comfortable. It sounds like a job that I would really enjoy doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super jealous. Before, I wasn't as jealous because I was like, oh, they got to like jam themselves into the spot and I'd 
been okay with my career choices, but now I feel like <laughs> I should be doing that instead. It would be way more fun. Talking about dinosaurs is pretty fun, though. It is. And then we also have another new dinosaur this week. This one came out just before the show, and I went down some rabbit holes, as has been known to happen. It's written by Blair McPhee and others and published in Current Biology. And it's all about a new sauropodomorph, which was discovered. It's really special because it is a huge sauropodomorph, but it isn't a true sauropod. So it doesn't have the sort of characteristic legs and neck and tail that you're used to seeing with sauropods like Brontosaurus. It still has the sort of more hand-like hands and arm-like arms that you'd see on a sauropodomorph, but it is enormous. <laughs> Usually the sauropodomorphs are quite a bit smaller than the true sauropods, but not in this case. So they named it Ladumahati, which is a really cool name, and the species name is Mafubi. So it's Ladumahati Mafubi. That's a fun one. It is a really cool name. And very different. It is, except in some ways it's kind of the same because Ladumahati is sesutu for a giant thunderclap, Ooh. which is just like Brontosaurus, except that Brontosaurus is in Greek for thunder lizard, whereas Ladumahati is sesutu, which is the language that they speak in Lesotho and South Africa, or at least one of the, I think, a dozen languages that people speak in South Africa. So... Yeah, it's a local word, so you can guess where it's from. And it weighed about 12 tons, even though it's from the very early Jurassic, which is enormous for a sauropodomorph. And it's by far the largest known dinosaur that existed at the time or any time before it, and therefore is probably the largest land animal that had ever existed at that point in time, which is pretty amazing. Nice. Yeah, so for comparison to Brontosaurus, because it's the obvious comparison to make since it's the other thunder sauropod, <laughs> Brontosaurus only weighed about 14 to 15 tons, so this weighed almost as much at 12 tons. It's a pretty massive dinosaur. But it looked like a sauropodomorph. Yeah, if you only look at the silhouette that they made of it without the scale bar, you would just expect it to be one of the other smaller sauropodomorphs from the early Jurassic or late Triassic. I was just thinking an interesting shape for such a large dinosaur. It is, yeah. Well, it's a little, it's starting to adapt, obviously, to its huge body size. So it's a little bit different. It's definitely quadrupedal. So it doesn't have just like regular arms like some of the sauropodomorphs did. But there were other much smaller sauropodomorphs that were still quadrupedal and have a pretty similar stance. So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting dinosaur. It was found in the Upper Elliot Formation, which is... Like I said, from the very early Jurassic, it's 195 to 200 million years ago, way before Brontosaurus and these other true sauropods started showing up. And it was found in South Africa, not in Lesotho, but it was less than 60 meters or 200 feet from the Lesotho border. It's like right on the border, essentially. And that's basically where the Elliott Formation is. It's like this rocky outcrop that sort of divides Lesotho from South Africa. So there's Lesothosaurus, which is from the same formation, and a lot of other dinosaurs that have been found there as well. Well, that makes sense, too, for the name. Yep, that mm -hmm. is in Sesotho. Sesotho. And the species name, too. Mafubi means dawn. Yeah, yeah, I forgot to mention that. That's because, obviously, it's so early for such an enormous dinosaur. So it's like the dawn of the giant Thunder monstrosities. Clap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a great name. 
yeah you can combine it and you can have it like dawn thunderclap which is kind of a cool visual like in the morning you've got like this big thunderstorm and a big dinosaur coming out too <laughs> or just the steps it takes is like thunder yeah yeah i think that was the idea with brontosaurus the story about how it actually got discovered and how it got published now is kind of interesting so the bones were actually excavated back in 2001 and put into collections and so this is one of those discoveries which is like a partial somebody finally noticed that they had something cool but that's not the entire story because what happened was years after 2001 a volunteer was moving the collection and pointed out how huge the bones were to a paleontologist who worked there and then in 2012 a different paleontologist went back to the quarry and found more bones and then they went there in 2017 and that's when they found a finger bone which they weren't even like looking for bones in 2017 the paleontologist was like just kind of showing somebody around <laughs> and the guy was like hey is this an important bone and he was like oh yeah that's got to be the finger bone from this dinosaur and the finger bone is what shows that it's really a sauropodomorph and not more of a true sauropod because it has more hand-like hands. So once you see this sort of finger bone and you start to figure out the shape of its hands, you realize, wait a second, this thing weighed 12 tons because we have this <laughs> enormous femur, but it's really more of a sauropodomorph. And yeah, then I guess he got to work on publishing this paper. So in total, in addition to that finger bone, they found eight vertebrae. There's one from the neck, two from the tail, and the rest are from the back. So they got a decent idea about the sort of shape of its body plan. But I think since they didn't find more vertebrae, that might be why they didn't give an overall length estimate. They did say that it was probably about four meters or 13 feet tall at the hip, which is pretty tall. It's not it's enormous. It's a lot taller than me. Yeah, <laughs> it's taller than, you know. Most people. Actually, all people. <laughs> yeah. Taller than a lot of things. I think taller than just about, taller than most animals. Not taller than a giraffe, but taller than an elephant or anything like that. And that's just the hip. Yes, exactly. So they didn't give the overall height either, but they depict it kind of like a typical sauropodomorph, which means that its neck and its head are in an upward position because they, sh you know, they have more hand-like hands, so they kind of think of them as sort of reaching up more, not just kind of evolved for putting all that weight on their front limbs. So it was probably much taller and likely taller than a giraffe even. So pretty large animal, not surprisingly. But unfortunately, the one neck vertebra that they found was the farthest forward bone in the body that they found. They didn't find the skull or any of the associated elements there like the jaw or the teeth or anything so we don't know much about what its head looked like which would be really cool to see because you'd love to know what kind of stuff this dinosaur was eating since it's sort of in between sauropodomorphs and the true sauropods that would be a really nice piece to the puzzle but fortunately they did find several limb bones they have half of a femur they have the right ulna and they have a few left wrist bones which I think is kind of funny because last week we were talking about a sauropodomorph that was just miraculously only missing the wrist bones. Hmm. And this time it's like that's basically all they found from the hands. So, yeah, pretty weird. But like I said, really helpful because it shows the sort of general body type that it had. There's also a really good video that they made about the dinosaur, which is how I figured out how to say the dinosaur. It's usually the only way I can figure out how to say these dinosaurs is if I could find a video of the author actually pronouncing it. Fortunately, that one existed this time. 
And in it, he shows what he calls a toenail, which is as big as his hand. Uh-huh. <laughs> But really, it's just a, it's more like a claw. Like we talked about, I don't know how many months ago with a cat. So cats have these claw bones, but then they have the keratin sheath over them. And then sometimes cats will like rip off their keratin sheath and they have these crazy sharp bones. Ooh. So it's the same kind of thing with dinosaurs, especially when you're talking about these claws on their feet, the nail gets much, much bigger. Mm-hmm. So who knows how big this toenail claw so would the, have been. This is the base part, the bone part, right? Not yeah. the keratin. Yeah, because yeah, keratin very rarely fossilizes, so they only have the bone part. So he was like, I don't even know how big <laughs> the claw would be with the keratin sheath over it, you, you know, probably as big as your arm or something. I get a very different image in my head when you say the word claw versus thumbnail yeah it was toenail he said toenail but i think that was mostly for dramatic effect because it's definitely more like a claw birds don't have toenails they have claws right but anyway it is still crazy that either way it's just that little bone part of it which is so huge (laughs) they also looked at the lines of arrested growth or lags in the bone and they found that they're really closely spaced so they know that it was an adult when it died because it's like tree rings <laughs> when they start to get close together they're not growing rapidly anymore and the dinosaur also tells us quite a bit about the transition to quadrupedality because as they put it quote many early branching sauropodomorphs were quadrupeds with flexed limbs end quote and basically The way I read that was that it has more of a sprawling posture than an upright posture because when you have flexed limbs, it's kind of like you're in a push-up a little bit. Hmm. And that's the way they draw it too. That's interesting. That's how a lot of early dinosaurs were drawn. Yeah. And then, well, like they used to even depict things like real sauropods, true sauropods mm-hmm. as that sort of sort of crouching way or megalosaurus or a lot of these dinosaurs right i think maybe even triceratops or some of the ceratopsians when they were first discovered oh well ceratopsians they still think is a little bit more of a oh okay flexed arm position but yeah i think because what you assume is that since they're related to lizards or at least we thought they were with the saurus ending that they would have a sort of posture like a lizard but then later on we found out oh, it's more of a bird thing and they're actually kind of stand upright more like mammals And interestingly, they also say that it's not really a sprawling posture. They like to call it a flexed or a crouched posture because it's more like how small mammals are today and not like how lizards are today. So they're still mostly upright. I think it's more like a pit bull or something where they're, you know, they kind of look like they're doing a little bit of a push up. Their elbows stick out a little bit. That's the sort of posture that they're in, which looks really weird for a 12-ton sauropodomorph because it's like, stand upright. Like, come on. How can you do a push-up all day like that? Well, almost anything about a 12-ton sauropodomorph is going to look weird. Yeah, but sometimes you look at it and you're like, well, it's like an elephant sort of, but it's got a long tail and a long neck. But this thing is quite a bit different. And obviously they consider Ledumahati to be quadrupedal, even though its hands are still very different from its feet. So... Very interesting transition and probably not the transition that eventually led to true sauropods, just because this is now the third time we've seen a dinosaur that's kind of halfway in between bipedal and quadrupedal at different times. So it's hard to say which one actually evolved to true sauropods. But yeah, still a really interesting dinosaur. I'd love to see a really big replica of this thing. The paleo art looks so cool. 
it, is, it actually is so similar to the way a lot of people imagine giant reptiles looking, like you said, that it's a really interesting dinosaur. So it'd fit in with the Crystal Palace dinosaurs? I think it might, yeah. If they added a sauropod, because there's no sauropod in the mix there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they could do like a 2018 reboot of the Crystal Palace dinosaurs <laughs> and stick one of these in there. <laughs> That'd be awesome. So it turns out that wasn't the only big thing from South Africa this week. In Eastern Cape in South Africa, scientists recently found a giant dinosaur bone bed as well. Yeah, the Ladumahati was found right next door in the Free State province. So really close. Yeah, so good week for South Africa. (laughs) Seriously. So this bone bed, it's about 200 million years old. The animals were buried together by a lot of mud, which I think that's usually what happens with bone beds. Yeah, it's common for sure. And they're looking to turn this site into a UNESCO heritage site and then have a park and dinosaur museum. There's not too much information yet, because they just found this bone bed. There's a lot to look at, obviously. But they have bones of a sauropod. There's one dinosaur lying on its side about six to seven meters long, weighs up to a ton. And they're thinking it might take about two years before we get the first set of results. Yeah, I think that's a typical sort of time to publish. But that's like even... Maybe they're just talking about preparation because it can take that long just to prepare it. Mm-hmm. And with a bone bed, that's so many. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that's like a blessing and a curse because you don't want to disturb the other fossils while you're excavating one. So if they're piled too close together, it can really slow you down. Yes. <laughs> but at the same time, you're excited because it's, it's such a great find. So yeah. And you can learn a lot. Yeah, exactly. In Vilani... Hungary, in a wine region in Hungary, there are dinosaur bone fragments and teeth that have been found. So in 2012, the Hungarian Dinosaur Expedition found Triassic-era fossils of dinosaurs and other fauna and flora, and they've since collected at least 30 different species of fish, amphibians, turtles, lizards, crocodiles, dinosaurs, pterosaurs, and birds. And this year they found 800 bones and teeth, including the lower jaw of Moklodon, which is a small iguanodont dinosaur. Nice. Yeah. There were also new fossils found in Saskatchewan in Canada this summer. I guess we're at the end of summer, so now we've, we're hearing about all the fossil finds from all the expeditions. <laughs> That's true. They found an Edmontosaurus skull, Triceratops bones, Gorgosaurus teeth, and Ankylosaur fossils, among other things. And these fossils are now part of the Royal Saskatchewan Museum's collection. The Royal Saskatchewan Museum? Yeah. We don't talk about them often. We do not. But that's cool that they have us. Next, thanks to Ada, who shared this one with us via YouTube. So the Washington Post published a pretty cool interactive article about a mystery ceratopsian in the Smithsonian. It won't be part of the new fossil hall, but it does have a pretty interesting backstory. So it's this six-foot-long ceratopsian skull. It looks like a triceratops, but there's some differences. Like, there's too many chambers in the nose. There's no nasal horn. There's just a bump instead. And it's got asymmetrical holes in the frill. I think two of them. This ceratopsian is known by three names. It was named first in 1905 as Diceratops hatcheri, which means two-horned face. But then in 2007, a Russian author realized that it shared the same name as an insect that was named in 1868. So he renamed it Nedoceratops, which means insufficient horned face. Oh yeah, I've heard of that one. But then in 2008, a Portuguese paleontologist who hadn't heard about the Nedoceratops name changed the name to Diceratus. But if somebody else had previously renamed it, it would stick with Nedoceratops. Yeah, but it just gets confusing, and sometimes they people use all three names. Oh, boy. 
So Hans Dieter Seuss said that the skull may be a triceratops. However, maybe it had an illness or a genetic mutation, and that's why its nose looks a little different. He jokingly called it the Rudolph of the Triceratops. Hmm. And Rudolph is part of the triceratops torosaurus debate. It's been said that it could be the adolescent link between the two, netoceratops, but not everybody agrees. John Bell Hatcher, the famous fossil hunter, found this ceratopsian back in the early 1900s when working for Charles Marsh. He found it in sandstone. It was nose down without a lower jaw in the same formation where he'd found torosaurus and triceratops. So they sent them to Marsh, and then after Marsh died in 1899, there were five train cars full of fossils that went to the Smithsonian, and the skull was among them. Yeah. So we don't know too much about exactly where it was from. <laughs> it's just thrown in the mix with all those. Yeah, with Taurosaurus and Triceratops, of course it's part of the debate. Yeah. In other museum news, there's good news if you're a Zool fan. The Ankylosaur is going to go on display at the Royal Ontario Museum on December 15th. Nice. Yeah. Zool, just to remind you, it's got a short snout, long horns behind the eyes and on the cheeks, and a huge club tail. And Research Casting International has been working on preparing Zool, and they had to slice, mount, and then flip the four-and-a-half-ton rock that was encasing Zool so that they could prepare the other side of him. A few cables broke, but luckily the encasing was in a metal cage, so everything was protected. Wow. Well, not luckily. I'm sure they planned ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and Zool will be the centerpiece of the exhibit Zool Life of an Armored Dinosaur, which will be this immersive experience with CGI animation and interactive games. Oh, that sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. Cool Zool. Yeah. Royal Ontario Museum always has some amazing exhibits. Mm-hmm. You've got a bit of an update for the Brazil National Museum, the one that was burned down a few weeks ago. So researchers are recreating part of the collection with 3D printers. Nice. Yeah, there are masters and doctoral students from the Federal University of Rio working on it in a lab of the National Institute of Technology, INT. 3D archives were started more than 15 years ago in case anything was lost, so that's good. There's about 300 pieces of the collection that have been digitized, including the face and skull of Lucia, the oldest human fossil in South America. I couldn't find anything about the dinosaur fossils, but Ow. at least 300 pieces of the collection, that's better than none. It is, but imagine how many more would have been if they let anybody do it. <laughs> Gotta think more. <laughs> oh, well. Maybe this will help inspire future happenings in museums. I really hope so. A little loosening of the grip on the collections, maybe, hopefully. There's another cool 3D printing project going on. So students aged 11 to 15 made a big part of the new Idaho dinosaur exhibit at the Idaho Museum of Natural History as part of these dino camps that they attended this summer. Hmm. The museum hosted the camps. The idea is to allow for citizen science and train students on how to use equipment. And this exhibit features... Erectodromius, which is the digging dinosaur, mm -hmm. with a baby in the burrow. And the students made the replicas working in the Idaho Virtualization Laboratory. Oh, cool. Yeah, Jesse Pruitt, who has been on this show and manages the lab, taught them how to use the software. And by the second day, the students were building bones digitally, which is hmm. impressive. They posed the dinosaur so it could be 3D printed. And the exhibit is on display until October 9th. Then it's going to be moved to the Gate City Fine Arts Gallery in Old Town, Pocatello, and then returned to the Idaho Museum of Natural History as a permanent exhibit. And the museum plans to do a similar project next summer with a different animal. That's really cool. Erectodromius mm -hmm. is a cool one. Yeah. 
I often think that I should say Arictodromius burrow instead of rabbit hole, but it's just such a long It's not quite as <laughs> <phrase>. catchy. <laughs> no. Give it a nickname. Yeah. Dromo hole. <laughs> mm, I don't know. <laughs> Keep working on it. <laughs> In Wayne, New Jersey, the STEM lab at Schuler Colfax Middle School allows the school to have a lesson plan where students dissect dinosaurs. It's a Z-Space virtual reality lab that the school got when a pipe burst last year and the school used the insurance money from the accident to build the lab. I couldn't find too many details on dissecting the dinosaur, but it sounds really awesome. Plus, you don't have to deal with any weird smells like when you're dissecting a frog or a pig. Yeah, or anything. Dissecting is pretty gnarly. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun, but yeah. So in a virtual environment can imagine yeah that's better there's no smell in that yet one of these days though they're gonna add smell maybe you just disable it if you're maybe doing be, yeah it's optional <laughs> quick announcement that dinosaur ecosystems from hong kong universities their free online course is back it started september 14th and there's new field trips to canada spain france and the desert of xinjiang china oh cool yeah i think last year they stuck around in either inner mongolia or mongolia in a specific spot most of the time so it's cool that they're branching out. I also heard that the Dino 101 class got a reboot, that they're up to version 2.0. Oh, nice. So those are both really good classes to start if you're just trying to learn some of the basics about dinosaurs for sure. We took both of them and enjoyed both of them. Mm -hmm. I could definitely go for a refresh. In media news, there's a new series for CBBC called Deadly Dinosaurs that features Steve Bakshel. And the dinosaurs in the show are there's holographic models and CGI, and Steve performs stunts and challenges to show the power of dinosaurs. So, hmm. for example, he shows the power of an ankylosaurus tail and a pachycephalosaurus headbutt. Uh, each episode has a theme. There's weapons, water, weirdness was a theme. And in one episode, he tries to figure out the most dangerous dinosaur of all time. So they do something like they chomp through a car like a T-Rex. They wield an axe like an Allosaurus. And they're riding the biggest tank in Britain to show the size and power of Spinosaurus. Those are some weird analogies. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking they would do something like put a 300-pound barbell out and have him try to curl it with one arm and be like, oh, I'm not as strong as a T-Rex. <laughs> That's not as fun to watch. <laughs> I suppose. So I guess CBBC is Children's BBC. Definitely a channel we don't get in the U.S. No. But also a channel where you'd want to see stunts like chomping through a car. <laughs> and where kids should be getting real science. <laughs> Hopefully there is a lot of real science thrown in the mix. We've not seen it, so we don't know. Yeah. Mashable had a pretty great video about the puppeteers who worked on the dinosaurs in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. So they show a team of people under a table. I think that's for the scene where Blue's being operated on. Oh, yeah. They're controlling levers to make Blue move, and they had up to 11 people working together on Blue, and they had to project this cohesive character together, which I imagine was challenging. There were also eight puppeteers on the T-Rex. They showed the behind the scenes of the T-Rex in the cage, mm. where, you know, the one where it snaps its jaws at Owen Grady. And then there was one person in the back lifting the body of the T-Rex. There were two people operating the neck, one controlling the head through a radio system, one for the eyes, one for the breathing and nostrils, and one for the jaws. Hmm. That is an awesome puppet. Yeah, a lot of work there. The puppeteers, they were saying that they try to take what's in the script as much as possible so the actors can react and improvise, and then they have something real to work with. 
And the hardest part for them was being in these small, confined, dark spaces for hours at a time, up to 10 hours a day plus overtime. (laughs) Yeah, that's not ideal. Crouching under a table for 10 hours with a bunch of other people. Yeah. And it's not that big of a puppet either, so they're probably all sort of reaching into the same kinds of areas. Right. We just got that limited edition Blu-ray thing from Target, so we'll go through probably next week and talk about the different features on it, because I'm assuming that's probably where this video came from. I don't know. Just found it on Mashable. There is already speculation on Jurassic World 3, which I guess isn't surprising. So one of the ideas, which we may have already talked about, is that there may be dinosaurs in space. (laughs) And J.A. Bayona responded to this. He said, maybe, I don't know. I think somehow what is interesting about the Jurassic franchise is that they reflect on the moment we live in. This is something that comes from very early on in the original book from Michael Crichton. So I don't know. If we start to talk about going back to space, maybe there's a possibility that in the future we will talk about that in the Jurassic movies. So he's leaving the door open. I guess so. It'd be kind of fun. You could make a sort of Dinotopia on Mars or something where you're using the dinosaurs to sort of cultivate the land and things like that when you have limited resources and potentially limited power. There's lots of cool stuff you could do. (laughs) Or just literally in space, like floating in zero gravity. And like you're trying to escape from a velociraptor that's like trying to get at you while floundering. And (laughs) And then we have no idea what's going on. Zero gravity, yeah. Would it be wearing a space suit? have to. (laughs) That would be even funnier. (laughs) Well, it's probably not the direction they're going. Maybe in the next round of Jurassic movies. I feel like you get there after about 15 or 20, mm-hmm. like with those Jason movies. They got to space in like, it was like the 13th one or something. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't watch those. Me either. Not many people did. And I guess that was a good warm up talking about Jurassic Worlds <laughs> for our interview with Jay Jurassic, which we will go to now. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a Brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This week, we're joined by Jay Jurassic, also known as at Jay Jurassic, CK at the end of Jurassic on Instagram. And he's a frequent guest on the Jurassic Park podcast, as well as a really great paleo artist. So uh, thanks for coming back, Jay. I'm glad to be back, guys. It's been a long time. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Lots to talk about. So s since the last time we talked, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom came out. What would you think of that movie? I was a little bit disappointed. Oh. Honestly. Yeah. I had a long talk about it on um, the Lost World Minute podcast hmm. where I talked to the other guys. And one of it was uh, it was me and um, Brad. And uh, we 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 talked about this uh, movie in the sense that the first part of it, we loved it. Mm -hmm. I love the whole island thing, you know, mm -hmm. but it, it's. The first time I saw it, there was just something missing for me. Uh, my friends loved it. My girlfriend loved it, too. They all were just like, oh, this is awesome. And I was just sitting there, like, in my chair, kind of like, um, what, what is it? There was just something that didn't click with me. And I know what it is. It's it's the, the I guess, second to third act, uh, the mansion. Mm -hmm. It just didn't click with me. Overall, like, the dinosaurs, the way they looked, like, the whole like spectacular type of show of it all <laughs> was great you know um but i felt that like the mansion kind of took me out of it and i felt like the indoraptor was very underused though they kind of built up towards it in like marketing and whatnot and it was just kind of like very much monster 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 you know yeah, that's true it was very much like a, a combination, like they slapped two movies together because the first half was very much like The Lost World or something. And then the second half was literally like a haunted house kind of thing. And that was the only role that the Indoraptor really played. was just like spooky house goblin. Yeah, ba basically. And and I've heard around on the on the Internet, um, J.A. Bayona, the director, actually, he, he said that like Maisie was like the princess and the Indoraptor was a... Uh, uh, the dragon and the mansion was a castle mm. and that's cool and all but i was like how does that have anything to do with Jurassic Park to me <laughs> you mean as, as a fan you mean I, i'm gonna be very critical about this because you know, i mean yeah. i just i've i've been a fan for all these years and just seeing kind of like why did he even <laughs> why did he use that as like a reference for the movie <laughs> like yeah I, I don't know it that's just didn't feel yeah it was very random and and like I said, I, I posted a tweet uh, where I said, um, design-wise, I love how the Indoraptor looks. He looks awesome. Mm -hmm. But overall story arc or like background story to like the creature, the Indominus Rex, I felt was better. Yeah, that's true. Because it, it felt more like an animal, you know, the, uh, more like an animal that, that we created. Uh, well, not us, but <laughs> <laughs> in Gen and <laughs> Jurassic World Park created. It had nothing. It didn't know where its purpose was, where it was in the food chain. It was confused. It was just acting out like an animal, just like figuring things out. 
this one was just a vicious monster that was just out to like kill and there's been like uh there was um some mention that there were scenes or not scenes in fact but like concept art and storyboards for the indoraptor being abused oh. and being tortured fans out there correct me if i'm wrong but i think it was like a handler went into its cage to feed it or something and it and it killed the handler and it, it there's an actual concept art and actually what might be a very like low grade cgi scene that was cut of the the indoraptor playing with the handler's skull oh yeah we talked to glenn mcintosh about that who was in charge of some of the the animatronics and things and he said yeah that they were like practicing throwing the skull and they actually shot you know throwing the skull and like bouncing it around the, the indoraptor was kind of wow. playing with it <laughs> i think that would have been good to leave in too i i you know if they gave it okay if you're gonna make it a monster at least give it a monster with kind of like a like a frankenstein type of sob story like frankenstein's monster you know yeah. it, it, it would have been i would have felt for the indoraptor a lot more i just seeing it i was just like oh it's a monster mm-hmm. and even when it when like you know spoiler alert um <laughs> <laughs> uh, when blue ends up ends up killing the indoraptor mm-hmm. there's like like a money shot of like blue just right into the camera like yeah i just did this and <laughs> i was just like wow that's that's uh i don't know there's a few scenes in there i didn't really like to like uh chris pratt moving away from the lava oh, oh really oh yeah i thought that part was pretty funny but it was definitely like a typical sort of balancing act with chris pratt between like the action hero versus the comedic like levity you know, part you know what i got a, a lot of vibe out of this movie i got a lot of indiana jones vibe from the movie hmm i don't i've i've actually talked to i can't remember who was i talked to about it and they're like yeah you're right you know when they're fighting in the auction scene like you never in the other jurassic park movies you never really see a, a like action hero type of a uh, thing that's you know, true yeah like mm-hmm. Like your main characters have always been like scientists, you know, mm-hmm. and they're not really, you know, scientists aren't really known for like out there kicking butt all the time, except for Indiana Jones, you know, Indiana Jones is out there kicking butt, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, like you had Grant and Malcolm in the first one, you know, they don't really look like they're out there to pick fights. And then the second one, you have Malcolm again. And um, there is a scene that's cut in the Lost World of uh, Roland Tempo. Uh, Pete Postlewaite's character, the the hunter, where it was cut from the movie where he actually fights somebody <laughs> in like uh like this one. It's a really cool scene, but you never really see that, and it felt weird. It, it I guess it's I guess it's just from like an old fan bias perspective. I don't know, like uh it, it stuff like that took me out of the movie. You know, I I don't hate the movie though. I will <laughs> say that. Like I've said that before. I don't hate the movie. Um, it is. I mean, you guys know very well. I. I hate Jurassic Park 3, but (laughs) (laughs) it didn't get to that level. It just didn't resonate with me, that's all. Interesting. One of the things that really resonated with me about the movie that I really felt was the relationship between Blue and Owen. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. All the baby Blue stuff was really cool, too. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Just showing how she was with him, and, and it made you feel for them more like uh, root for blue to survive when she was shot, you know, things like that really worked. And, um, you know, we all know that one scene <laughs> that, that tore everybody's heart out. No, oh, with the brachiosaurus. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I, was, I was, I was sitting in the theater watching that and I wanted to tear up and ball crying 
But my friend, well, my girlfriend really made a bet with my friends that I would cry. So <laughs> I held in my tears and just like bit my lip. And she was like, are you going to cry now? I'm like, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's a sad scene, but it's, it's all right. It's good. <laughs> and inside I was just dying. I was just like the volcano and lava was just like melting all my heart. Yeah. <laughs> We saw it three times, and every time it got me the same. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. It, it's why do they always do that to our long necks? I, 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 <laughs> sauropods. You know what I mean? It, somebody I, I can't remember. They put the, the brachiosaur, and then they put the scene of um, Littlefoot's mom dying, and oh, I was like, "Come yeah. on, isn't that too much?" <laughs> <laughs> Or like even the Indominus Rex, right? In uh, the first Jurassic World, there was like a field of dead sauropods. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all it's it's always the apatosaurs and the bra- brachiosaurs, just the sauropods. They just they're always just killed, and <laughs> they don't show them like like defending themselves. Except yeah. for if if you watched uh, Walking with Dinosaurs, when uh, the Ballad of Big Al, you guys oh, seen that? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. When when the Diplodocus. Like uh, with the the whip tails and it whips the that uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah, the first time true. I was like, all right. <laughs> Even though I did love Big Al, I was like, oh no, oh, he's hurt. <laughs> that's funny. But it was, you know, I mean, um, I, I I honestly could say I was I was disappointed though overall. But eh, we'll see. I don't now. I'm I'm a little weary about where it's gonna head for the third one. I I don't know what what they're gonna do. Um, they're saying they're going to go like science thriller, but in today's audience and way things are, I don't, I feel like a film like Jurassic Park would be really hard to like resonate. They, everybody wants, um, the scares and the, and the dinosaurs like right up front, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, you watch Jurassic Park and we don't see it. We see the Brachiosaur, but we don't see the ones that we really, really want. We want to see that T-Rex. We want to see those Raptors and, um, they don't show up to like T-Rex, I think halfway down the movie shows up mm-hmm. yeah. and the Raptors show up like at the end. Yeah. You know, yep. you do you do that now with uh, movies, nobody's going to go watch it, you know. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of screen time for the dinosaurs. It was more like the scare and the, the suspense. suspense. Yeah, the suspense. Yeah. So did you, I saw on your Instagram when you reviewed the book, The Evolution of Claire, and you mm-hmm. said like in, in the review that you talk a little bit about how it explains some of the lead up to Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, I think. Or was it the lead up to the first Jurassic World? I think it it, it explained a little bit to like um the lead up to the first Jurassic World why she is the way she is in that oh, movie. Gotcha. You enjoyed the book? I did. I actually did. I actually enjoyed the book uh her character in the book more than I enjoyed her character in Jurassic World. Huh. Hmm. Um in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, I understand like I, I get why she is the way the way she is in Jurassic World, and then the way she is in Fallen Kingdom is like not the, it's like night and day. It's not the same person. Mm-hmm. But if you read the book, it explains wh- why she's always been that Claire that you see in Fallen Kingdom, and because of things that happen in the book, she becomes that very like stern and cold Claire that you see in Jurassic World. Oh, okay. but it's what I really love from the book not so much just all like the claire story one it is her her story but the beginnings of the park you know like explaining what they were how they were transferring the dinosaurs how they officially uh, called 
the T-Rex Rexy, which <laughs> me and Brad Jost from Jurassic Park podcast, when we were reading book, both of us were like, yes, finally, confirmation. <laughs> so now there's no confusion anymore. It is canon because the book is canon to the films. So it is canon that her name is Rexy, not <laughs> Roberta, as everybody seems to be calling it. <laughs> That's funny. Done. Done deal. So if they talked about moving the dinosaurs, did that kind of explain how in Fallen Kingdom there weren't any dinosaurs left at the Site B anymore? Yeah, exactly. That's See, this is the gripe I've had with a little bit uh, with these with the new series of movies. The explanations are being thrown through um, viral marketing and now books. And, you know, the casual fan is going to be confused when they go in to see this movie. When you have viral marketing explaining all this stuff and all this background which is cool i love that stuff but you got to kind of throw it in somewhat into the movie yeah because then people don't understand because everybody was questioning that too what about site b what about isla sorna why aren't the dinosaurs being thrown out there being taken there oh there's another sanctuary wait wasn't the sanctuary in in isla sorna that (laughs) you know john hammond said to preserve that island that he was going to look into Costa Rica, like putting restrictions. And you see that in Jurassic Park 3, that the island's restricted. Mm-hmm. But no, it seems that they transferred most of those dinosaurs from that island into Isla Nublar. And then there's also, if you go on DPG, it explains as well that there is, um, I guess, disease. And supposedly the Spinosaurus was a big reason why a lot of dinosaurs died out in Isla Sorna, which... Um, <laughs> You'd have no idea in the movies. <laughs> No, and I was kind of like, what? No, can't be. Please, no. <laughs> like, just knowing that the Tyrannosaur family is not alive anymore on Isla Sorna just breaks my heart, like, more than the Brachiosaurus. Oh. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, so it, they say that they they have um background like that in the book, which is really cool. They they give the dinosaurs names. One of the Brachiosaurus's name I'll, I won't ever forget is uh, Pearl. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. That's a good one, yeah. You know, so like, um, it was really cool just reading that part of the book. But if you don't read the book, it's gonna be a little bit confusing when you watch the movie, unless you don't really care about that and you're just there for the dinosaurs. <laughs> that's pretty much where we're at. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> like my nephews are there just there for the dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. Did you? I saw on Instagram you got a ton of new Jurassic Park toys too, and Jurassic World and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Do you have a new favorite? Oh yes, definitely. It has to be the Colossal T Rex. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> that thing is. Oh, actually, the battle damage Colossal T Rex because that one roars. Ah. That one is fantastic. It is so great. It towers over every other dinosaur, <laughs> and it's just kind of like doesn't make sense at all within scale with anything else but i don't care because it's so cool (laughs) it is and like everybody's doing repaints of it and they they're making them look fantastic because the the sculpts that uh mattel came out with are phenomenal beautiful sculpts they look just like the animals in the movies nice cool very well done is the battle damage one too can that one swallow the people Yep, it's it's basically the same one, only with sound. And I oh, think cool. it's a couple more dollars, but it's a Walmart exclusive. So, like, um, I actually just recently heard that Walmart's actually clears, uh, clearing them out. So, they're on clearance for, I think, like, half the price now. Oh, cool. Or, 
So like now's the time. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Because that I think they restocked for the movie for the release. So, uh, but they're not selling as well as they were before because mm. they're just they're really big, you know. Yeah. And, and once you get like either one, if 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 you ended up going to Target or another store and getting the regular Colossal, hey, good luck trying to get another one of those uh, like the kids asking their parents like, uh, can I get this? No, you have one already, but it's no roars. <laughs> that's a good point i i I know because i know from experience i I, when i was a kid trying to ask my grandmother like can i get this one you have that one no (laughs) but this one this one's electronic this is electronic the lophosaur it's it makes sounds well you have the other one it it spits water yes but then they have to be together (laughs) that's funny but yeah it's Mattel is just doing incredible things. I really love what they're doing with the Jurassic brand. They really took it and appreciated and respected the brand, mm-hmm. which is something Hasbro wasn't doing, which I can actually say I've sold basically all my Hasbro stuff. Hmm. I was like, I'm done with it. Like it's, it's it was it was junk. Like it was not really great. And I remember buying this stuff and just kind of like that's why I was able to sell it because it was all in boxes. I wouldn't I didn't take them out because they would break (laughs) so like i'm just gonna have to leave it in the box because i i I had friends that would take one of the toys out and as they're taking the toy out the leg would fall off or something you know like Uh, it was so bad it was really bad so yeah most of that stuff is gone there's no i don't i don't really want junk toys and i I become more um selective this time around Mm -hmm. because money is tight (laughs) Plus, the toys are so much bigger that you can't just get all of them. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're they're all... With the 3.75 line, their main line, everything's within scale. So, the T-Rex is within scale. The humans, the humans are within scale. The vehicles, the vehicles, within scale. The small dinosaurs, everything's within scale, which oh, is cool. amazing. That is how Kenner did it. Kenner did it that way. And that's why it worked so well. These guys sat down and studied Kenner. That's what they did. They looked at what Kenner did right, and they did it. Because we have a Mosasaur that, I don't know if you guys seen that one. It is huge. Mm -hmm. It is, you can put it in the pool, in the bathtub. If you're uh, like, if you're a little guy and you want to be playing in the bathtub, you can have it in the bathtub with you. Like, how cool is that? (laughs) I mean, it's like when you were a little kid and had like battleships or submarines or something, Mm -hmm. you know, which I go, this thing could be submerged in water and, uh, has real feel skin like you know like the old kenner toys it is gigantic because it has to be in the movie <laughs> it's it takes down indominus rex with his jaws so you have this thing like it's incredible what they did <laughs> and they actually just came out with mosasaur at, it's called quest for the indominus playset very limited run of it um i was lucky enough to snag one uh, a good friend of mine was able to help me out with that um it brings an Indominus Rex skeleton. Oh, cool. So it's a playset that comes with a full-size Mosasaur that you buy separate that you can buy separately, but this one brings one in there, has the submarine in there, hmm. and the Indominus Rex skeleton. And it was a really awesome set. And the skeleton's awesome. Yeah. Really, really cool. Sounds like a good deal. <laughs> yeah. Really good. So are you doing any more art? I think I saw a little bit on your Instagram. I just posted yesterday uh, the Lophosaurus drawing that I recently picked up again that I had started drawing a while back. Mm-hmm. And I have, uh, I, I'm telling you guys, I have this folder that just has sketches, like 
sketches and half-drawn dinosaurs, and some of them are really, really good. And I'm like, why did I stop drawing this? Like, <laughs> so I go back to it. I put it into the computer. I just uh, make it digital. I scan it, and then I like clean it up because there's lots. I'm a very, very like messy artist. <laughs> like I'm not like my papers. Like if I'm ever giving out like an original. You're going to see smudges on the side, you, my fingerprint somewhere. It's, it's, I'm not that clean of an artist. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, I put it into the computer and I clean up the sides and whatnot and make it just the image itself of, like, the dinosaur or whatnot. And I was cleaning up the, the Lophosaur last night and I started actually coloring it, doing, like, um, digital watercolor on it. And um, it was cool to be back doing that. But I, I like I said before uh, we started recording, I was telling you guys how, like, I am actually diligently working on a lot of art, very much just sticking to dinosaurs. Like I, I've worked on other things here and there, and I was kind of balancing a bunch of different projects. But like at the end of the day, I, time is very valuable. And I say, what is it that I really love to draw? And what is it that like I love most, most of anything? Dinosaurs. And whether it's Jurassic Park dinosaurs or, you know, scientifically accurate or what we think they look like right now mm -hmm. till the changes <laughs> in like five years again you know yeah. um like that that's what i've been focusing on and i've been kind of going back into the books looking at a lot of renderings of other artists artists that are professionals in the paleo art field mm -hmm. and studying what they do studying uh muscles muscles and bone structure and all that trying to get the basics in there so it's not just me just drawing just the dinosaur it's i want to build a dinosaur up and learning where muscles go exactly like i've i've done anatomy work before but like dinosaurs is different because it's like they're not you know they're not around so mm -hmm. you kind of mm -hmm. have to use you know uh birds and some what reptiles to kind of see where like some of these muscles would go these tendons and and these uh veins and arteries and heart and intestines and all that and i've just been working on stuff like that I haven't shown any of that work because I've been, it's just been, I work on it and I don't really want to show it till it's done with everything that was going on with the Jurassic Park. Everybody was really crazy with it. It was like, oh, this is not the time to show this type of work. You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. everybody's really into like this Jurassic Park stuff and whatnot. It's just like I was supposed to do a contest a while ago, but then everybody was doing a contest over the summer. I was like, oh man, <laughs> like you can't really, <laughs> everybody was doing one. And then I just started, oh, whatever i'll start joining them and started participating in their contest see if i could win and i did i actually won a mosasaur nice <laughs> yeah i won a, a mosasaur on twitter which is great i just like one person like oh retweet this and you might win a mosasaur i was like why not and then i did i'm like oh wow and then when i actually got to my house i'm like what do i do with this because i have i have two now and i have three because i got the <laughs> the quest for indominus so i have three mosasaurs just hanging around <laughs> one in a box one unassembled and one assembled eating a shark yes I, <laughs> I, I got a shark at a dollar store i went through like a couple of dollar stores looking for a really cheap shark so that you could put it in the mosasaur's mouth <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty fun <laughs> that's good uh, it was kind of funny uh, talking to like the, the cashier at the place where one of the workers and i'm like um do you guys have toy sharks <laughs> they were like oh you like sharks i'm like yes yes i do i'm a big shark person <laughs> okay yeah we have like toy sharks here i'm like oh cool because every other 
every other store that I went to, I was kind of like, nah, I'm not going to say anything. And finally, I said it to one person and the person was like really interested <laughs> in like my uh, my fascination with sharks. <laughs> You're like, they get eaten real well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys, since we're talking about the toys, have you guys heard anything about the Spinosaurus toy? I don't think so. Oh, man. (laughs) Well, (laughs) let me tell you. It is the most elusive Mattel toy there is. Oh, actually, I did see you post on Instagram that you couldn't find it. (laughs) Yes, it it is really bad. It's only being sold right now, basically, in um overseas. Pretty sure like uh, United Kingdom is where it's being sold mainly. There's a store called Smith's that's like exclusive to. It is exclusive to Target here in the States, but Target seems to think it was just a limited run. And Mattel is saying, no, just Target doesn't want to order anymore. Hmm. So right now, it has become like the holy grail of the Mattel line. <laughs> And I've had like talks with this other friend of mine on Twitter named Billy Reed, where me and him have talked about how much we don't like Jurassic Park 3 and the Spinosaurus itself from the movie, mm-hmm. the actual creature. I appreciate but from the movie, that monstrosity serial killer dinosaur. <laughs> no, but um, it's be- it, me and him are like, I hate to admit it, but I really want this dinosaur toy. <laughs> and because it's-, it's so hard to find. Oh, yes, it really is. It, and it looks really good. Like, it looks exactly like the one from the movie. You know, it's it. they did a phenomenal job. And people are saying it's like the best toy of the line. And I'm like, oh, excuse me. I don't I don't think so. Not don't go there just yet. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a very, very elusive toy. And as of right now, there's no confirmation if it's going to be sold again by Target. Us U.S. Uh, Jurassic fans are very disappointed by that, and we're we've tried like there was one time I guess a lot of us just started asking Target, and I don't know if it's a bot or if there's somebody that just handles handles their um, Twitter account, but they answered me back, and that's I think the post that you saw mm-hmm. where they're telling me it was a limited run. I'm like, you guys never said it was a limited run, so this whole there's a whole thing with that right now. So that pretty much is like the main toy i'm after i'm good with everything else I, i'm not really looking to get more stuff i'm, I'm good i passed <laughs> on a lot of them but this one's become a quest <laughs> oh yeah that, that one is yeah definitely i i need that one <laughs> but i am not paying a hundred dollars for it on ebay that's how much it's going for oh geez. wow are there any other uh projects or things you're working on that you want to share i am like everybody's doing repaints of dinosaurs and I haven't, haven't repainted or, or worked on custom toys in a long time. I know I, I remember, I think the last time I was on here, I had talked to you guys that I do that. I just had like stopped. Uh, I, I haven't done it in a long time, but I see a lot of people doing that. It's kind of, you know, kind of caught the bug again. Mm-hmm. I've been wanting to get back into repainting. I am repainting a dinosaur for a friend, for a good friend of mine, uh, Matt Brando. He sent me his Colossal T-Rex damage, uh, battle damage one that roars, and I'm painting it right now, little by little, when when the time is there. Um, he told me to take my time, which I was like, good, man, because I, 
Uh, I mean, because I told him at first, I was like, I don't know if I can, man. My, my time, my time is like really. He's like, here, man. I'll send it to you. I know you'll do a great job. Just take your time. And I'm trying to make it like a phenomenal type of T Rex. Like I'm trying to make it look exactly like like Rexy from the from the movie. Trying to make it as close as possible to one of like Stan Winston's maquettes. Like all the detail, everything that I can to it. Cool. So that like I send it to him, he's gonna just like either be overly excited or just drop dead from the excitement itself. <laughs> oh, <no. gasps> I think it's a real T-Rex that pops out of the box. <laughs> <laughs> you have to post a picture when you're done with it. Oh, I definitely will. It's uh, right now. I'm, uh, I just kind of have like the, the, um, the base layers of the browns and, and like grays. Cause it's weird. Cause like you have to kind of really look at a certain model of it because there's so many different type of like like variations of, of the first Rex because mm-hmm. before she was being filmed with the rain, her, she was a certain color and then the rain muddled the color. The maquette's a different color. Like it's just so you kind of have to find a balance. And then when the CGI is a different color too. Mm. This the CGI when you see her like uh, eat the gallimimus, she's like this reddish brown with with stripes. And then like. When you see her in the breakout scene, she's kind of like a black, gray, brown with like very muddled stripes. And it's just like you got to find a balance. So I'm, I'm trying to find that balance that works and makes her look the best that she can. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us. It's always good to catch up. Oh, yeah, definitely, guys. It's uh, it's always fun to be on the podcast. I listen to you guys every uh, whenever you guys put up a podcast. I listen to it on my commute to work. Nice. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks again, Jay. Always great to talk to you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now on to the dinosaur of the day, Draco Rex, which was a request from Marcos. So thank you. Marcos also sent a lot of helpful links. It's a controversial dinosaur. In 2009, Goodwood and Horner said that Draco Rex was a juvenile pachycephalosaurus and Stygimoloch was in between an adult and juvenile and Pachycephalosaurus was the adult, based on the fact that they had relatively similar skulls. If you want to learn more about those other dinosaurs, we talked about Pachycephalosaurus in episode 93 and Stygimoloch in episode 176. So we probably mentioned Draco Rex briefly in those two. Yes. Goodwin and Horner suggested that this dinosaur, Pachycephalosaurus, grew and changed shape as it aged, and that Draco Rex was a half-grown version and Stygimoloch was a three-quarter grown version. Draco Rex was described in 2006 by Bob Bakker and Robert Sullivan and others. 
According to Bob Bakker, Stygimoak is different because of its huge spike cluster. It's got these three enlarged spikes. On the back of its head? On the back of its head. And Draco Rex has a shorter four-spike arrangement on the back of its head. And the two had also different sized and shaped skulls. So pretty big differences. Yes. Also, Pachycephalosaurus has this broad, rounded dome compared to Stygimoloch that had a narrow dome and larger horns. Draco Rex did not have a dome on its head, but instead had knobs around two big holes. And they also had horns that were shorter than Stygimoloch. And the skull had bumps and a long snout and was flat. And there's also a lot of osteoderms, the nodes, larger hornlets, and spikes. The skull has these two large holes, the fenestra. So in an interview, Bob Barker said that he was thrilled with the idea when he first heard this theory that Pachycephalosaurus, Stygimoloch, and Dracorex were all the same. Because no other modern species has done that kind of transformation. It is pretty radical with the horns and the dome and everything changing over time. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, so Horner's proposal basically that the horns grow out of the back of the head as a juvenile, and then it reverses and reduces as it reaches maturity, and then the horns disappear and the flat forehead grows upward and becomes a solid dome of bone, and large openings in the skull close quickly. But then Bakker said that he'd studied horn and dome growth in modern animals, muskoxen, giraffes, African water buffalo, and none of them have any kind of reverse horn development as described for Pachycephalosaurus. Yeah, that's the pig question mark for me too (laughs) why would the horns shrink if you're growing this other thing for display it's very strange right and in the case of something like triceratops the skulls change over time but the horns they start small and grow larger not the other way around bakker also said that he had a genuine juvenile pachycephalosaurus skull about two-thirds the length of an adult and the skull had quote a shape that's 95 percent like the adult stage Hmm. so i've got a longer quote from him He said, quote, the horns are small, the temporal holes are gone, and the dome is huge, and dome development has distorted the neighboring bones above the eye. This juvie pachycephalosaurus is just as small as the Draco Rex skull at the Indianapolis Children's Museum, but the juvenile pachycephalosaurus had already acquired the definitive pachycephalosaurus head structure. It doesn't look anything like a Draco Rex. We have new Stygimolox skulls, too, the same size as the Draco Rex. These Stygi skulls are not intermediate in shape. They have a small dome and large horns, the diagnostic Stygimoa cranial configuration. So, though electrifying in its novelty, Jack's theory simply doesn't work. Pachycephalosaur dinosaurs did grow like triceratops or like musk oxen. Bumps and horns simply got bigger and thicker all through life. There was no sudden dramatic growth reversal. By the time an individual pachy had achieved half-grown size, its dome and horns were taking on the shape that was very close to what the adult would have. End quote. So you can see the two sides of the debate there for sure. Yes. In 2010, Nick Longrich and others said that all flat-skulled pachycephalosaurs were juveniles. Bob Bakker said, quote, Draco Rex was the first flat-headed pachycephalosaur found in North America. Bakker said, quote, Draco Rex is a scientifically significant milestone in the world of paleontology. It proves that family trees were still branching off and evolving even near the end of the age of dinosaurs. It demonstrated a world of color and movement in nature more recently than we ever thought possible, end quote. So Draco Rex looks very dragon-like, as you might have guessed, based on the description of the skull. <laughs> it was about 9.8 feet or 3 meters long, and it was herbivorous. It was part of the family Pachycephalosauridae. By dragon-like, do you mean that it had horns sticking out of the back of its head, like dragons are usually depicted? Yeah, and also just all the stuff going on with its skull in general. A lot of 
ridges and whatnots. Mm-hmm. So Draco Rex was most similar to Stygimoloc, somewhat similar to Pachycephalosaurus. The skull is similar to the modern animal giant forest hog. Both have similar length skulls and long snouts or muzzles. Giant forest hogs shove with their skulls and ram each other, and they have powerful, flexible neck muscles and can lift opponents off the ground. As the fight escalates, the giant forest hog runs into each other, and then they ram their flat skulls together, sometimes fracturing bones. Jeez. That makes me think those studies where they say, you know, they wouldn't have slammed heads together because it would have fractured something. It's like, well, (laughs) maybe it would have, (laughs) but that doesn't necessarily mean they didn't do it. (laughs) That's interesting. Hard to say. So Draco Rex may have pressed their heads together and then pushed, and then the knobs and ridges on the skull may have helped hold the skull together to prevent slipping. The spikes on the back of the skull also could have inflicted fatal wounds on the flank. So Oryx, which is a modern antelope, used their backward-facing horns to kill predators, so maybe Draco Rex and Stygimoa did something similar. Interesting. Like a self-defense rather than a display structure purely. Yeah, could be. So Draco Rex was found by Stephen Pat Salisbury, or brothers, and Brian Buckmeyer from Sioux City, Iowa, while on a fossil collecting trip. They donated the skull to the Children's Museum in Indianapolis in late 2004 so that it could be studied. They found one nearly complete skull and four neck vertebrae. The type species is Draco Rex Hogwartsia, and yeah. the name means Dragon King of Hogwarts. That's and such a good one. Yes, it is Harry Potter. So. And Draco, even though it's Dragon King, it's really named after Draco Malfoy. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Bob Barker and others named it, and then they let J.K. Rowling know. And in a video with Bob Barker, he said that she was a fan of the name. (laughs) Who wouldn't be? Yeah. Barker said, quote, the species is named in honor of her contribution to children's education and the joy of exploration. And he also said that the name Hogwarts came to him as soon as he saw the skull. Interesting. More of that dragon-like resemblance, I guess. It's a good way to name something. It doesn't have any sort of implied behavior in it. It's just kind of what you think when you look at the skull. Mm -hmm. So even if it turns out to not be what you thought it was, it's not like, oh, I named it a Ceratopsian and it's not a Ceratopsian. It's cool. I named it a dragon. (laughs) And it still looks like a dragon no matter what it actually is. (laughs) Yeah. So Raleigh said, quote, the name of Draco Rex Hogwartsia is easily the most unexpected honor to have come my way since the publication of the Harry Potter books. I'm absolutely thrilled to think that Hogwarts has made a small claw mark upon the fascinating world of dinosaurs. I happen to know more on the subject of paleontology than many might credit because my eldest daughter was Utah Raptor obsessed, <laughs> and I am now living with a passionate Tyrannosaurus Rex lover, aged three. My credibility has soared within my science-loving family, and I'm very much looking forward to reading Dr. Bakker and his colleague's paper describing, quote-unquote, my dinosaur, which I can't help visualizing as a slightly less pyromaniac Hungarian horntail, end quote. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So since then, Bakker and others have found four Dracorex specimens, and Dracorex lived in the late Cretaceous in what is now North America. I hope that they leave it as its own genus, just because I love that species so much. And I know that's not a scientifically valid reason to want a genus to stay unique, but... You just like the name? I still, yeah. (laughs) Sort of like you and Brontosaurus. (laughs) But that one's real now. Don't forget it. (laughs) And our fun fact of the day is more about dinosaur eyeballs, because there's so much to learn about this. So in my Erichthydromia spurrow, 
I discovered that <laughs> there's an article by Margaret Hall from 2008 where she kind of looked into how we might figure out what dinosaur eyeballs were actually like, even though eyes don't fossilize. But luckily, they do have things called sclerotic rings, which are actual bones in their cornea that support the eye. And then when you combine that detail with the preserved eye socket, or orbit as they call it, you can actually figure out the shape of the eye, and that can tell you something about the dinosaur's eyeball and its behavior. The way it works is modern birds have different shaped eyes, depending on if they're up during the day or at night. So if they're nocturnal, they have eyes that are flatter, but sort of wider, and that's to optimize light sensitivity. Whereas birds that are diurnal or up during the day have eyes that are longer, which helps make their vision more precise. So you can figure out this ratio by looking at the sclerotic ring, which gives you an approximation of the diameter of the eye, and the orbit, which gives you an approximate depth. So by combining those two things, you can figure out the shape of the eye, and therefore whether it was optimized for being up during the daytime or being up at night. So Hall, what she did was she dissected and found all these eyeballs from different birds, I think 140 of them, and demonstrated that the bones alone were enough to give a good prediction for what the exact shape of a bird's eyeball would be, and therefore what kind of behavior it has. And unfortunately, the paper isn't cited by any non-avian dinosaur research yet, but there is a really fun gross aside where in the methods she describes how she did the research saying that in order to sort of test the shape of the bird eyes, she had to remove some eyes from preserved birds, and then she would inject the eyeball with a preservative, quote, until the eye was fully inflated and would not accept any additional liquid. <laughs> that is gross. And then she could measure the shape of the eye, because I guess when they're in the preservative, the eye shrinks a little bit, so you have to, like, puff it back up. I bet that smelled bad. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it did. And then I think there was also a lot of dissection of, like, living birds and all sorts of stuff. Something about dissecting eyes, though, is just so cringe. Only if you're thinking about it yeah. a lot while doing it. And there were, like, she even described the tools that she used so she didn't accidentally pop the eye. Oh, like, popping an eye. That's oh. <laughs> so gross. So, so gross. I hope that somebody finds a good sclerotic ring in a preserved orbit so that we can figure out a shape of a dinosaur eye, though. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. And on that gross note, <laughs> thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to us so you don't miss out on any new episodes. And our page is at patreon.com slash I know Thanks again. And until next time. Good day.